Pal, welcome to the Enhanced Performance Podcast with your host, myself, Adam Lusby. And we are going to be covering everything high-end performance in this podcast, whether it be nutrition, lifestyle, business, sports, mindset, anything high-end performance, we have got you covered here, so let's go. So guys, a slightly different podcast for you today. It's just going to be me, myself, all alone here, speaking to you guys uh, regarding your questions. I'm going to be going over all your questions that you've given me and sent in. So, you know what, let's just get straight into it because there's some absolute crackers. Uh, so the first one is from my man Ross and he has asked, Adam, what are your thoughts on steroids in football? So I'm going to slightly change the question. I'm going to change it to what are your thoughts on performance enhancing drugs in football? Because uh, not all things performance enhancing uh, are steroids and not all steroids are actually performance enhancing. So my thoughts are there is performance enhancing uh, drugs in football, but I think it's just at the very tippy top, very elite level of the sport. So maybe your top ten clubs in the world. Um, so something recently came out about Liverpool. They have sixty-two percent of their team have asthma, and twelve percent of the UK's population have asthma. So that's a very very high number. So that's kind of a bit sus- suspicious. It's a bit weird. Uh, also. The, a player was pictured walking out with asthma drugs in their hand as well. So again, a little bit weird. <clears throat> so you can't just say that's a false claim because obviously at least that person's got asthma, I suppose. And you've got to be careful because the source was, it was just a source close to the club. So you, you never know who that could be. It could be a disgruntled player, a disgruntled uh, anybody, staff member. You don't really know. So you've got to be careful. But from what I've seen, and from what I've heard, there are certainly stuff going on at the very, very top of the sport. If you look at thing, if you look at players from Bayern Munich, so they have very close ties to a doctor. And I can't remember the doctor's name, and I probably wouldn't want to say the doctor's name just in case he finds this obscure podcast and sues me. But he is very well known for, or he's very well known in the kind of realm of performance enhancing drugs. Very closely linked to people who have pop for performance hands and drugs and cycling um so he's a very kind of known man in the field and he is one of the Bayern Munich team's advisors and if you look at the transformation from some of the players they go to Bayern Munich and they get absolutely jacked so obviously they're not on maybe well maybe they are on asthma asthma medication but they're not just on asthma medication they'd be on something like testosterone maybe uh, hgh uh, human growth hormone um, stuff like that so obviously the benefits for them lean muscle mass right obviously they're going to recover but it's main things recover they're going to recover miles miles quicker than other people are going to train miles miles harder that's what that's what testosterone is kind of used for i suppose and then when you're talking about the liverpool players with the asthma drugs their benefits are essentially just be able to run for longer. Their fitness is going to go through the through through the roof. Um, but look, I don't think it's just football. You know what I mean? Like any sport, any place where there's money. In fact, not even where there's money. Any place where there's competition, there's going to be someone trying to get an edge. There was even people caught taking Adderall in gaming competitions, low-end gaming competitions. So it's not just about the money. I'm sure in competitive speed walking, there's people trying to get an edge in that as well. But when there's billions of pounds in it, and you're talking guys who are sponsored by Nike, and an extra two years on their contract means millions to them and their family, then yes, they are going to be taking some kind of 
performance enhancing drug. And I'll I'll explain kind of like how to get around it, or this is or the way they kind of use a loophole. Loophole. So what they would do is they would go to an advisor, or maybe someone who's not directly tied with the team. So that if it does all come out, they can be like, well, it wasn't it wasn't us. Um, it wasn't it wasn't done by the team. They were just going off their own back. Or maybe it's a team doctor, and then they'll hide behind patient uh, confidentiality. So. That's the way to get around that. But basically, what they do is go, look, I am feeling very tired. I am struggling to recover from games, blah, 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 blah. And they will give them a doctor's note that uh, essentially lets them take testosterone replacement therapy, TRT. And they will be on what's called TUE, which is Therapeutic Use Exemption. So that if they ever do get tested, which from what I heard is very rare in football, and the testing they do do is um, urine testing, not blood testing. So there's a lots of ways to get around urine testing. It's not very, it's not very good. Um, so basically, they get away with it. Another thing they'll do is they'll go to the doctors and they'll go, look, I'm, and they'll just basically list the kind of symptoms of asthma. And they'll go, I've got this, 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 and this. And he was like, right, I'll give you some asthma tablets because you've clearly got asthma. And the side effect of this is you're going to be insanely fit. So that's kind of how they get get around it. But the, the the main thing is no one wants to catch them either. Like, UEFA don't want to catch them because it's just going to be an absolute headache. Imagine Ronaldo gets caught. Oh, my God, it'd be an absolute disaster. PR nightmare for them. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. I think there are steroids in football, but I think it's only at the high, high end. I might be proven wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, I don't think I will be. Uh, but it's definitely going on, and I think it'd be naive to think it's not. And I also think it's naive to think it's not going on in pretty much every sport apart from maybe darts. Um, next question, this is a, a general question, but it will help a lot of you out here. My back gets sore when deadlifting. And this is from, uh, I've looked on the profile, who's, someone who's a footballer. Well, the short answer is stop deadlifting. If your back gets sore when you're deadlifting, then just don't deadlift. You're a footballer, you're not a powerlifter. Uh, I feel like a lot of people people think they have to squat, they have to deadlift, they have to bench press. You don't. There's many workarounds. So if you're doing a straight bar deadlift and your lower back gets sore, what I would say is change to a trap bar deadlift. I I don't think I ever do straight bar deadlifts with my athletes anymore. I just don't see the need. Uh, I think you might as well just do a trap bar deadlift. It's miles easier to teach. Uh, there's no real mobility you need to do a trap bar deadlift. There's less stress in the lower back. Do a trap bar deadlift. That would be my answer for that. Uh, you can also send me a video and have a little look at the technique, but just do a trap bar deadlift. If your back's just generally weak, what I would say is do things like back extensions, uh, back extensions like with an isometric hold on maybe a GHD machine, so you're going out par par parallel. I can't say that word. You're going out horizontal to the floor. <laughs> and you are uh, holding that position, okay? Uh, do that, that's very good for building strength. Good mornings, as long as you do them light, don't go too heavy with them. Things like that will get your back strong. And then if you really wanted to, maybe you can then go back to deadlifting and see how you get on. But yeah, very quickly, I would just say don't deadlift, change it up, uh, do a trap bar deadlift instead. And that like, goes for any compound lift. If you can't squat, do an Anderson squat. If you can't do an Anderson squat, do a leg press. Um, if you can't do a leg press, do something like try try a belt squat. Uh, things like that. There's always workarounds. Uh, bench press. If you can't bench press. Do dumbbells. If that still f usually it's shoulders, if that still feels feels sh sore on your shoulders, 
then do a neutral grip bench press or a Swiss bar or do a neutral grip dumbbell press, things like that. There's always workarounds. And unless you're a powerlifter, you really don't need to be doing a certain exercise. We're trying to get strong. So we're chasing the adaptation and the adaptation is strength. There's a million different ways to get strong. You could sled drive, you can sled push. They'll get your legs stronger. You don't need squats, you don't need deadlifts necessarily. Do you do movement analysis with your athletes? I do. I do do movement analysis with my athletes. However, I wasn't going to tell this story because this is going to get me in trouble potentially. But fuck it, I'll tell this story. So I took an athlete of mine to a well-known geek. He's like a super geek, and I mean that in the best way. He's a sports scientist, and he's very good at being a sports scientist. However, sometimes he doesn't live in the real world, this chap. So I took him there, and my movement analysis maybe lasts 10 minutes, and it's just to get a better understanding of the athlete, where things are slightly wrong, where we maybe need to put in accessory uh, exercises, if there's any movements that we maybe want to avoid slightly due to this or that. So I took him down, and we're using this guy's facility because he's got all this fancy equipment that costs hundreds of thousands of pounds. So we took him in there, and the movement analysis must have lasted 45 minutes. And at the end of the movement analysis, or he was basically told that he shouldn't lift any weights. Now, this guy had six weeks to his fight. We're in the middle of a camp, and he was saying, oh, you shouldn't lift any weights. You should not be loaded at all. This guy was an MMA fighter, so he's going to be expected to be doing wrestling, to do jiu-jitsu, and because he had a slight shift of, at the bottom of a squat, now it was a very slight shift, he's just dominant in one leg, so he was favouring that side as he was coming out the hole, um, he was told that he shouldn't lift. Now that is just fucking asinine, it's very, very ridiculous to think that that is the best way to go about that situation, like... <laughs> You have six weeks till your fight and you've been told that you can't lift any weights. It's just stupid. It really is just stupid. It could take us six weeks to solve the, the slight hip shift. So what are you supposed to do? Just bring them in for three, three sessions a week and just concentrate on a hip shift? No. Ridiculous. But this is what is wrong with some sports scientists and some, and some strength conditioning coaches. They go by... They go by the literature and the textbook and they read it and it's Bible. And there is no kind of flexibility in that. What it says they will go by. And sometimes you need to, yeah, sometimes it's right. But a lot of times when you're in the real world and you've competed in sports and you understand athletes and you understand kind of what they're going through and the need for for them to perform well, sometimes you've got to say, fuck that. We're just gonna we're gonna just work around this and we're just gonna smash it. And we did the six weeks and there was no absolutely no issues with his lower back from heavy squatting. Uh, so yeah, so I do do movement analysis. It's not as in depth as other people's. I use it as more a guide to to get, get garner information. So then what I would do is maybe we would do a bench press and we'll superset that with some hip mobility issue uh, or exercise issue. So maybe hip airplanes or something like that. Uh, and yeah, that's how I'll program it in. And just to let you know the test I do, I do a Faber's test, which is for your hip. I do a very basic an- uh, ankle dorsiflexion test and plantar flexion test. For, uh, what else I do? A shoulder mobility test to see if they can kind of externally rotate their shoulders and lift overhead. Uh, what else can I do? 
I think that's pretty much uh, oh single leg squat sorry single leg squat see if there's any knee valgus which is when your knee caves inwards and overhead squat that is the ones that I do and that's basically it so the next question was well, wait a minute wait till I find it where is it where is it here it is. How do you go about opening your gym and raising raising funds and attracting clientele? So I'm going to take this into two parts and I'm going to start with attracting clientele because that's essentially what you should be doing first. Now I remember when I started, I did I remember kind of doing things two things on purpose. One was I was going to give my product away for free, and the second was I was going to get well known in my area. Now obviously this could be a whole podcast in and on itself, right? And I think one day I will bring in somebody who's a marketing expert and talk about client retention, acquisition, and all that kind of thing. But the, these two things will work for you, and they'll work really for any company and any business, because uh, it's just it's just kind of a universal thing that'll work. So I gave my product away for free. So I essentially sat down, I was like, right, who are the cool kids? Who are people that are well-known in the area for what they do? So... Scott Malone. Now, not that he's cool, don't get excited, Scott, he's a vegan, right? But he is well-known in the world of MMA and Dundee. So I knew if I can get him, then I'm going to have people coming to me because I trained Scott Malone. And that's what I did. Messaged him, do you want to train for free? Yes, boom. Put me on your social media if you think it's good. Uh, and, and away we went, right? And then I got loads of other MMA fighters. Same thing with Paul Keane. Well-known boxer in Dundee. Train him for free. He then puts me up on his social media. I get loads of people coming to me because I train Paul Keen. Simple. And that works for any business because you can just message them and go, oh, do you want if you, a burger van? Do you want a free burger? Come down and get a burger. Put me on your social media. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever it may be, this works. Now, obviously, this is not a good business model. You wouldn't do this forever because you'll be skint. But do it to start off. is a very good way to get clients through the door. Second thing is about being kind of, well known in your area so there's a, a saying in sales and marketing which is what is it better to be the best product or the best known product and it's always to be the best known product so i thought about that and was like right, okay how do i get myself well known in dundee for strength and conditioning now if you take it too broad if you go the world then it's going to be very very hard take it super small and just do your area your town your city first okay so I wanted to be well-known in Dundee. So what I did was I just ran Instagram ads. Now, people get funny about running Instagram ads because they're like, oh, social media is free. You shouldn't have to pay adverts to become well-known. Every business in the world pays for marketing. So why you would think that you shouldn't do it is just, it's just stupid. It's beyond me. Um, just I put up a few posts. I made sure that the ones that were doing well, I boosted them. And like when you're talking put money behind it, I'm literally talking about 30, 40 quid. I'm not talking masses amount. That's going to gain you followers. Now, it might not get you sales or it might not get you clients straight away, but it'll get eyeballs on you. And then you'll get the clients and then you'll get the sales, right? And one thing I would say about when you are posting, it's imperative to have a social media nowadays, I think. I don't, think, I don't understand people who don't and who are kind of against it almost. What I would say is make sure, as I saying from Gary V, make sure that you are documenting uh, as much as you're creating. So by sit me sitting down and taking time out of my day to do this podcast, I'm creating. I'm doing something that I wouldn't usually do to get this content out there. So that's going to take up time. I'm then going to have to go home and edit it. Then I'm going to have to upload it. It's going to take me time. But if I just document my day, I'm going to go to the gym today, I'm going to work out. So I might as well record that and then put that up online. That doesn't take me any extra time. It takes me an extra five minutes to do a post. 
So why wouldn't you do that? And you might as well. People are then going to see your type of training. People are then going to see your product, how it's made, whatever it may be. Just document your day and put it out there. Some of my best, uh, kind of best performing posts, ones with hundreds of thousands of views, are actually ones I did. I actually remember doing one. I was hungover on a Sunday and I was like, oh, I need to put a post up today. I just did a clip, clips of the week, just like random clips of different people I trained during that week. Put a banging tune behind it, put up as a reel, and I got, I think, 300,000 views or something mental. And I was just like, brilliant. So, those are your two th- main things to get clients. Do something for free, get them in, and then become well-known in your field. And that's kind of how you would do it. And then once you get well-known in your area, you can broaden your area and make it bigger and bigger. And that's what I did. I decided, I want to be known well done, known in Dundee. Okay, now I've done Dundee. Most people know me who are like boxers, combat athletes, stuff like that. Let's go Scotland. Let's then go to the UK. Then the world. Uh, the second part of that question is a trickier question, and I'm not going to lie, it's hard. And that is, how do you go about opening up a gym and raising funds? It really depends on what gym you're trying to open up. If you are trying to open up a studio, then you can do that quite quickly because you just need less money financially. It depends how posh you want to go with your studio gym, but you could literally do it for a few hundred quid. Get a second-hand barbell, second-hand rack, second-hand bench, which you can probably get for free nowadays on Marketplace somewhere. few plates, few dumbbells, boom, away you go. Um... So that's that's not too much of an issue. If you're opening it, talking about like a performance center like myself or a gym gym, then yeah, it's hard. Because if you're going to probably open your, your business up as a limited company when you've got a gym, so how are you going to get a loan with some a company that's just started out? The bank's probably not going to give it to you. So you're going to have to get a loan out in your name. So then if the business goes tits up, you're still need to pay back that loan. So it's a tricky one. Um, but it's just, it is what you're going to have to do because unless you've got a spare 70k kicking about, you're going to have to take a loan out. Every business takes out a loan. I think with my background and where my family kind of work and what they do, it's not very kind of entre- entrepreneurial. They're all teachers and so we almost have like a kind of block in our head of, oh my God, taking out a loan. Like, it's not something that gets done. Like, we just don't do it. So, it's strange for me to be taking out a loan to open a business. Whereas if I, now that I've spoke to a few businessmen and business people, it's just what they do. Yeah, we just take out this loan, start up this company, blah, 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 blah. And it's just what they do. So you're going to have to take out a loan, mate, That's uh, unless you're extremely rich. If you're extremely rich, then you shouldn't be asking that question. You should know. Um, another thing I would mention about the gym is don't be afraid to go a little bit bigger than what you maybe necessarily need. So when I came down to the unit that I got, it was, I walked in, I was like, fuck, this is massive. Like, it was it was much bigger than I needed. I had four rooms off by the side. It was huge, like, maybe double the size of what I actually needed. It was massive. And I was like, that's maybe a bit much. But it's actually become a strength because now I've rented out some of the rooms at the side. I'm doing a podcast in one of the rooms. Um, because the size is, the, the main bit is so big, I've been able to bring in PTs that rent space off me. So that kind of makes me money. So the the gym now makes me money without me doing anything because I've got these extra things on board. Where if it was just me and myself, the, all the pressure is then on me to make all the money to support paying the rent, whereas it's not the case just now. So that's great, but you've got to be careful. That can change very quickly. You have two people go, then you might be struggling a bit. So it's just, you've got to be careful, but that's what I would suggest to you, mate, okay? 
Uh, it depends what kind of gym you're opening up. Also, maybe find a niche. Like, see if you're trying to open up a commercial gym where it's no niche. You're just trying to be the next pure gym. I would say you're probably going to struggle, mate. You need something that's going to stand you apart. I can think of like five or six gyms off the top of my head right now that are commercial gyms in Dundee. So you need something that's going to stand you apart. Mine's a performance gym, so it's slightly different. I know people who have opened up like bodybuilding gyms, so it's very hardcore. But again, that's a a niche. Like that's something different. Again, it's not a commercial style gym. Um, You've got CrossFit gyms. That's a niche. You like you. You need to find a kind of niche or something that's going to separate you from the commercial gyms. Because if you're going up against a commercial gym. I think you might struggle just because the amount of finances they have and the amount of money it takes to open a commercial gym. Like you're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds to get uh, a commercial gym opened. So yeah, that's what I would suggest, mate. So next question is, challenges you least expected in opening the ESPC? So what I would say is no matter how much you bulletproof, Sorry, no matter how much you do your business plan, you can't bulletproof it. I mean, there's always going to be something that goes wrong, okay? Um, so I remember I spoke to Danny, well- Danny Wilson of Boxing Science, name drop, I know, uh, about just, like, things he'd done when opening his place, blah, 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 like equipment I need or don't need. And he said, I'll oh, make sure the ground's good um, or the flooring's good because... Um, that's caused us issues. He drops weights and it's like dents the floor and like even though he's got gym pads down, it's like causes issues and all this stuff. And I was like, nah, I think that'll be fine, mate, because I, I'm an old an old mill. So the flooring is obviously going to be solid because I've had the have all this equipment on top of this floor usually. So this this place will be solid. Well, it is solid, but you drop some weights on this and it is a nightmare for the people below me. So it would be shaking their walls, like bits of little plaster and paint would come off their walls if I was deadlifting and stuff. So I needed to change the gym around. I needed to move things into different places. I needed to buy a deadlifting platform. Uh, even though the place was matted, like I still can't drop weights in certain places. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare. Uh, I'm still dealing with that today. Like I still can't drop plate weights and stuff. So it will probably get to a point where I'll need to buy more flooring, but if you've ever looked into the price of flooring, woof, it's expensive. So I'll need to buy thicker flooring that's going to kind of kind of absorb that impact uh, eventually, I would presume. But that's something I didn't really expect. Another thing, if you're buying someplace or renting someplace where you've got the roof, it's a nightmare. So I didn't really think about the roof too much, but... I've been in here maybe a few months and the roof started leaking. Just like basically as soon as it started raining, started pushing my, pushing my water everywhere. Uh, it started destroying my astroturf. So you have to contact the landlord, go through that. But the landlord's probably got another 40, 50 properties he's dealing with. So you're probably not his number one priority. Um, so you got to chase out those things up. Chasing people up is a bit of a nightmare. Not just the landlord, like other people, like companies that you're dealing with, um, people who are delivering equipment, all these kind of things is a bit of a nightmare. Uh, and then the roof caved in a little bit, like the plasterboard kind of fell down and battered some of the pipes and just just nonsense like that. And just like, oh, and those are things that are just like, you've just got to deal with, you know what I mean? You, you've just got to deal with it. And that's just the way it is. There's nothing you can kind of really do about those situations. Like you've just got to deal with them as they come along. It's a part of, I suppose, opening a business. It's a part of dealing with a business. Um, you just got to take it as it comes, take it on the chin. 
Next question. Explain some mistakes or common mistakes athletes make. Uh, he's mentioned nutrition. I'm going to talk about nutrition, but I'm going to talk more broadly about athlete mistakes in general. So I'm going to talk about my two kind of most common clients here, and that is combat athletes and then footballers. So they're probably two complete opposites, these mistakes. The combat athletes tend to go 100 miles an hour and they tend to overdo things. So they'll burn themselves out. They'll run themselves into the ground. And I, you can see why they do it. So if you have a fight in six weeks and you are sitting there at home and you've been told, right, you've done your two sessions today, just relax, watch some TV, Love Island's on, get something to eat, chill. What will start happening in their head will be like, I'm being fucking lazy. Like, I bet my opponent's out running right now. I should be out running. And they'll go out and do some sprints. And then they'll be fucked the next day. And the next day comes and they get to train and maybe it's a fitness run they've got to do or maybe it's pads they've got to do. And they start doing their pads and they're like, oh my God, I'm so unfit. I need to I need to hit, hit this more. I need to smash this. I need to do more running. I need to do more. I need to do more. And it's a snowball effect. And they just get themselves so wound up about it and they get completely run down. So that's why with my combat athletes, we try to do two things. One, we look at their timetabling and we kind of optimize their timetabling by using um, traffic light system. So dead, dead basic system. Is the session green, meaning very easy? Is it amber, meaning moderate? moderate? Is it red, meaning it's extremely hard, hard session? We do that for the week and we make sure that we don't have too many red sessions or uh, yeah, too many red sessions back to back. Um, so that's one way to avoid a kind of burnout. Second way to avoid the burnout would be to use HRV, heart rate variability. It's the kind of gold standard to track whether you're recovering or not. So I introduced that with my athletes to make sure that we're not burning out. So because you might wake up one day and think you're tired and then you can kind of like mentally toughen it out and go, nah, I'm just being a pussy, I'll just push through. But if you have that backup from the HRV to say, oh no, you're tired, then they're more and more likely just to go, okay, I need to take a, a rest day or I need to do some yoga, some stretching, whatever it may be, an active recovery day. And that kind of that kind of gives them the validity to kind of take that day off or that step back. Now we've got the footballers on the other side. I'm of the belief that footballers should be trained two times a day. I know the footballers won't like, like hearing this, but the reason is if you've got MMA fighters, boxers, NFL people who are like getting hit all the time and stuff like that and they can train twice a day I don't see why a footballer can't train twice a day I think it's more of a just a cultural thing I think you're seeing it slightly change down south in the big big teams like they almost do like a full day of like coming in they do kind of video analysis they'll have a breakfast they'll go and do an S&C session they'll then have a lunch they will then go and do uh, ball work or they'll do ball work first probably and then an S&C session um but I think up here still, in Scotland, we've still got the issue of one a day. It's one and done. And you can kind of see why it's hard to change that kind of approach because if a manager goes to the club and goes, we're now doing two a days, the player are just going to go, well, you pay me fucking double the money because I'm doing double the work. I understand that from the player. You are, asking to do, you, are, you are being asked to do more, so why shouldn't you get paid more? But I just really feel that there's more left on the table uh, from footballers and they're not really pushing themselves the way they are they should be in the sessions themselves they are like don't get me wrong when you see them sprinting you see them running and doing all the run, running and stuff like that yes they're very very tough sessions don't get me wrong I just feel there could be another session later on that night 
uh, or whatever it may be that could be some kind of yoga session some kind of stretching session some kind of some kind of additional sessions should be there and let's say if if MMA fighters are able to do it footballers should be able to do it and their, their argument will be oh but we play every Saturday yeah you do but I don't see why that should be an issue because if you get your chronic load like and that's basically the volume you can kind of handle if you get that super 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 high doing a match won't really make any difference it'll be a tiny little acute spike and then your chronic load will be the same and you'll actually you'll end up feel better and we touched on this when we talked to Sam Hickey in the first podcast he said he actually now feels better from doing really hard sessions consistently twice a day or maybe just three sessions a day he feels better for it um so i think that sh- should be something that can be taken in now you mentioned nutrition here uh and you give the example of carbs are bad yeah that is i feel like that's not as much of a belief in with athletes at least i would hope not there was a period in time where athletes were going keto quite a lot. I feel like that's kind of died down a bit and they probably realised, oh, fuck, it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because when you're trying to be explosive, you need carbs in your system to be explosive. It's, you're using carbs as the fuel source there. When you're doing like a long state state run, you're using fats. Um, so I, I feel like it's died down a little bit, but yes, there is that kind of, still that issue of carbs are bad. I feel like it might be because people put on people put on weight or they feel like they put on weight when they have carbs, but it's actually just water retention. It's not real fat. Um, so then they cut up their car they cut out their carbs and then they're down a few pounds. They're like, Oh, I knew the carbs were bad for you. It's not the same. It's not that's not that's not what happens. And also, if you have like loads of pasta and loads of bread and all this shite, you feel bloated and you're like, I knew carbs were bad. Well, no, that again, that's not quite right. You're just having a fucking massive bowl of spaghetti. Um, so yeah, that's why you're feeling shy. So that is an issue. Maybe I would think nowadays nutrition is better for athletes, but there's still a lot of nuance that needs to be kind of unpacked and they need to be looking at things like carb timing. They need to be looking at things like supplements to really help them. Like I've always pushed creatine on my guys. Like everybody should be taking creatine, even if you're not an athlete. If you look at the cognitive benefits of creatine, you should be taking creatine. I'm pretty sure stuff came out that it pre- uh, not prevents, but it certainly fights against Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So everyone should be taking creatine. There's no long, uh, long-lasting effects. Um, for the combat athletes out there, you should be stopping it ten days before weighing. Though, just an FYI, because it does make you hold a few pounds of water. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd be saying about nutrition and mistakes in general. So guys, that was a slightly different enhanced performance podcast for you there. I hope I didn't bore you too much. I will do more of these. Well, only if people ask me questions. If no one asks me questions, I'll probably not do any more of them. Um, and over the next coming weeks, we've actually got some brilliant people lined up to come on the podcast. I'm quite excited about Sam Wardrop, uh, really good good guest to come on he's he was a professional footballer i think he took two years out or he's currently taking two years out which is a really interesting story so we're going to find out why he did that uh, and how he's getting on the world of social media he's quite a big tiktok and youtube and instagram star now so we'll be talking about that we'll be having paul craig on we'll probably bring on bring on paul uh, the bear jew probably after his fight like He's got more bigger fish to fry just now than than this podcast. Uh, I know priorities there, 
So we'll probably bring on him after the fight, after he wins that fight. Then we've got loads of other boys lined up, to be honest, guys. We've got mindset guys coming on. We have got... I'm hoping for some business people to come on. If anyone knows some good business people, uh, let me know and I can try and get in touch with them. Wouldn't mind picking their brains about finance and stuff like that. And also nutrition people. I wouldn't mind a, a really good nutritionist, maybe a sports nutritionist of some kind to come on. That would be cool too. But yeah, loads of good things lined up. Uh, some good people, some not so good people like Simon Murray, but you'll just have to grin and bear it. And this is the Enhanced Performance Podcast. We out. <laughs>